you walk up and put yourself in the middle of that huddle. You stop, you get in front of the bus. You tell the, the coach, <laughs> hey, can I can I talk to you for a minute? You've just got to be bold and brave enough to, to do that. And we're back. This is the OMN Alumni Podcast. That's right. We are back for season three. We've got more conversations with more alumni of Orange Media Network coming up this season. I'm really excited to have you along for the ride with us as we go through this and reconnect with a lot of amazing alumni of the student media department of Oregon State University. Uh, my guest today, I'm very excited to have them join me. Uh, he is the editor of Pacific Northwest Magazine based out of the Seattle Times. It's Bill Reed. Bill, welcome. Hi, Stephen. Thanks a lot for having me today. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, we were joking before we got started that I always start these podcasts before the recording by triple checking the person's official title before we go, uh, just to make sure I get it right and I don't call them the wrong title all the way throughout. So thank you for, for correcting me as we got there early on. And you were saying that that's actually something that you've practiced in journalism over the years. Oh, for sure. Uh, most of my memories of, of of working at the barometer and then at the Gazette Times, I worked part-time at the Gazette Times while I was in school, uh, or the best lessons I learned were, were the mistakes I made. And one of the worst mistakes I made was uh, working at the Gazette Times. Uh, as I, I was, first of all, I was very fortunate there to have, uh, Roy Galt was a sports editor, Randy Hamrickson and Jeff Welsh were sports writers there. They were great, were willing to take time with me and help me. I, I learned so much from them. But Roy had left an assignment for me one time to go do uh, an interview and a profile story on uh, a master's athlete. Uh, let's say his name was Gary Smith. I, I don't remember if that was right, but he, he writes his note, go interview Gary Smith. And so I said, OK, well, that's an easy name. And I called Gary and I talked to Gary and I set up an interview and I go talk to him for a long time. And I write this story and it's a 30 inch story on the cover of the Gazette Times sports section. Uh, nicer about all the things he, he has done and accomplished. And he writes, or he calls me back after the story ran. He says, hey, that was a really nice story. But just so you know, my, my name's actually Gary Smithberg. It, it was oh, something, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I had I, I had probably 30 or 40 mentions of, of his name in the story wrong every single time. And, and it taught me a really valuable lesson, though, was that you just don't take anything for granted you ask, you you make people spell their names, get their titles, get their ages. And, and I have gone back and I have double checked so many things just because you get nervous. Oh, did, did I get that right? Am I sure about that? I mean, I've had to call people. I remember doing a, a feature story a few years ago and I remember calling a person because I, I remember I, I made a note at a lunch we had because I thought it was kind of, he, he drank something unusual at lunch. It was you know, like a Mr. Pibb or something <laughs> like that, Dr. Pepper. So, uh, so something I think, so, so I actually called this guy back just to ask him, hey, when we had lunch four days ago, was that a Mr. Pibb you had for, for lunch? He goes, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's all I drink. Oh, okay, great, even better. Uh, and so, so just the silliest little tiniest details, you, you've got to check. You've got to make sure you're right. Uh, you know, credibility is, is our greatest asset as journalists. And so you just can't get things wrong. Even now, when you do this work, do you still have flashbacks to those moments when you did get it wrong early on in your career? So even now, when you ask those questions, do you flash back to Gary Smithberg and say, oh, yep, got to yeah. remember it because of him? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I, I made so many mistakes when I was uh, at the Barometer and at the Gazette Times. And, and I'm amazed by 
how little I actually knew at that time compared to what I what I know now and what I've learned. Uh, I, I so many great lessons. I I remember covering an Oregon State football game for the Barometer, and it was an Oregon State against Cal game. And when I was there, Oregon State was really not good in football, so they lost as they usually did uh, in front of about fifteen thousand or so at the old stadium. Um, and and but after the game, I go down to interview the California coach, a guy named Joe Cap, former great Cal player, uh, coach there for a while, big kind of intimidating guy. And I go down to the locker room afterwards, and I'm hanging around with six or seven other writers, and I'm writing down answers as he's talking. And then at, all at once, the crowd kind of disperses. They go to interview other players, and I find myself just standing there, and it's just me and Joe. And uh, so I just start kind of meekly asking another question. And he's like, whoa, 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 stop, stop there. He goes, here's how you do this. Um, and, 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 and he started I, giving I was, you lessons. Well, absolutely. He gave me like a five minute journalism lesson right there. He says, you don't, you don't just stand there and ask me a question. He says, have we ever met before? Have we ever talked before? I said, well, no. He goes, all right, well, then that's not how you start. You walk up to me and you say, hi, I'm Bill Reader from the Daily Barometer. Uh, congratulations on the win. Can I ask you a few questions? And so he's giving me this lesson. And so, so then I started asking questions. He goes, no, 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 back up, walk up here again and do it again. So this guy, <laughs> all he probably wants to do is, is get on the bus, get to the airport and go home. But he's taking 10 minutes to like teach me how I should interview him. Like, this is an amazing thing. And, and what a gift, a generous gift that he, he gave me there to take that time to do that. But, but I learned a lot from that. And, and man, those kinds of things, Flash. I, I can't remember things that happened last week sometimes, but I have really, really vivid memories of things that happened at Oregon State, working for the Barometer, working for uh, the, the Gazette Times. Um, another mistake I made was one thing I tell people too is you, you've got to be you've got to be curious. You've got to you know any good story is based on good reporting, but you can't be as I was in that case with Joe Cap. You can't be meek and mild. You, 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 you've got to be a little bit brave to be a reporter. And I, I covered an Oregon State baseball game once. It was at Portland, uh, probably at the University of Portland. And so I, I go up, I cover this game, I watch the game, I'm taking notes. The game's over. Uh, the coach and the players kind of go over, they have a little huddle right by the bus, and they go to the bus and they go home. And, and I write the story, and the sports editor, the barometer says, hey, the story's fine, but there's no quotes here. What happened? Didn't you talk to anybody after the game? I said, well, you know, they were they were in a huddle and it didn't look like they wanted me to bother them. And and then they just kind of got on the bus. And before I knew it, they were just gone. And the sports are like, no, no, no. You 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 do you walk up and put yourself in the middle of that huddle, you stop, you get in front of the bus, you tell the, <laughs> the coach, hey, can I can I talk to you for a minute? You've just got to be bold and brave enough to to do that. Um, that's such an interesting point, you know, because for so many student reporters that I think more than anything is the number one obstacle when they are practicing those skills as a reporter is being brave and putting themselves out there and asking questions. Uh, I guess it might be an odd question, but how do you build that as a student reporter? How do you build that bravery that you need to walk up to somebody you don't know and ask questions? There's really no shortcut to this. You just have to do it. You have to, uh, you have to fail. You have to take chances and do it. Boy, I remember so many interviews I did when I was in college, even at my first job out of college, 
where I look back, I go, oh man, I wish I had a chance to do that again. I, I did not do that well. I got nervous. I, I became afraid. I, I just kind of, that interview wasn't what it could have been. What you discover eventually after you've done this a while is that the best interviews are more just like conversations. And so you've got to understand as, as accomplished and as big a deal as Joe Cap was, I have to treat him like I'm, I'm just a person here doing my job. We're kind of equal partners in this uh, situation. Um, so you don't, you don't put someone on a pedestal. You don't, they're not, you know, someone you're a fan of. You're not in awe of them. You just have to break it down to where it's just two people having a conversation. And that's going to be the best interview. You also, depending on who you're interviewing, you don't act like you're, you know, if you're a columnist who's been doing this for 30 years, you also don't act like you're above them. You just, you really have to treat it that way. It's two people just having a conversation. And that's a, that's a hard thing to get to. And you can't really do it until until you've you've done it several times and you have to it's almost it's almost like a mind trick you have to play on yourself where you just you just kind of give yourself a pep talk before you go do it and you you think about it and you okay I'm going to talk to this person I'm like oh wait a minute I'm I you know I, I have a right to do this this is my job I'm, I'm I'm going to write a good story they want me to write a good story about them probably and so you don't you don't apologize for going to ask them a question. You don't apologize for who you are or what media organization you work for. You just tell them who you are and you kind of launch into it and and hopefully can have a a conversation with them. Do you have to have a short memory when it comes to your mistakes as a journalist? Well, short and long. Short to remember that okay, now I got to turn right around and 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 get back to work and 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 do another story. But long in that, you know, I, I don't think I've misspelled a name in 40 years since I made that mistake, you know, so you you always remember that and you remember kind of the, the humiliation of having gotten that wrong and the the problems you caused yourself in your paper and the, the credibility you might have lost with something like that. So you, you, you know, I remember, <laughs> I, I remember the mistakes like that much more than I remember good stories that I wrote way back then. Well, you worked for the Daily Barometer as well as the Gazette Times during your time here in Corvallis. I wanted to ask you, what got you interested in journalism to begin with? Yeah, I was, uh, uh, I'm I'm unusual probably uh, in that when I was like 14 or 15, I knew what I was going to do. I I was going to uh, go to Oregon State. I was going to get a journalism degree. I was going to become a sports writer. And all of that happened. And so I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's like a, a a dogged pursuit of my goals or a lack of imagination, but I but I figured out <laughs> really early that that that's what I was doing, and and I think it started it started in a weird way, not necessarily because uh, of journalism, but more because of sports. I I, I was a a uh, poor athlete who loved playing sports. I just wasn't any good at it. Uh, but so then you realize, okay, well I don't get to keep playing forever, but I can I can write about it and be part of part of it that way. So, so I got into it probably because I wanted to follow sports, but really quickly I got into my high school journalism program because of that and realized that I loved uh, journalism and I loved asking questions and getting, and hey, I, I have a license to go ask questions and, and get answers to things. And, and even when I was in high school, I worked for the, uh, it was called the Benton Bulletin. It was a weekly in Philomath. And so 
while I was in high school, I was working for my high school paper and I was working for this Philomath paper. And, and I lived in this little town called Monroe between Eugene and Corvallis. And I would literally walk around Monroe with a, with, with, with a notebook and a pen, you know, ready to report on something. I'm not sure what I thought was going to happen. You know, nothing really did, but. But you were but ready. I was ready, if it, I was ready if it did. And, and I would go to uh, city council meetings and, you know, as a 16 year old high school kid and, and write these weekly stories. Uh, in fact, I, I must have written them before I could even drive because I remember my mom driving me up to Philoma to drop off that week's story, you know, back when you just typed it up on a typewriter and sent it in. So, so yeah, I've just, I've always been in journalism, uh, uh, very early on in high school was really attracted to the idea that, um, I get to ask questions. I get to, I get to find out answers. I get to kind of be an investigator, you know, and that's, that's really fun. And that those are the best journalists. You, you, you just, you, that's where the best stories come from is from a curiosity, um, wanting to ask questions, not being afraid to ask questions, and then having conversations with people. Uh, you do the reporting first. You can teach yourself to be a better writer, but you need to have kind of an innate uh, sense of, of curiosity about the world. And you mentioned sports being kind of a gateway into journalism because of your love for sports and then transitioning that into writing about sports. I found that uh, sometimes it can be difficult for young sports writers to to make that next step from I'm a fan, I really like the game, to being critical in their writing and being very curious in their writing. Was there anything that you felt that you needed to do to make that jump to be able to be that critical thorough investigator as opposed to just a fan yeah yeah uh it really helped me and i, and I would encourage a young student journalist to find mentors to to talk to about these things and and it, it will help them grow i was again really lucky to work at the gazette times working for the barometer it's it's a bunch of young people and, and we are kind of fans. And I remember going to a, an Oregon State, Oregon football game where the my my barometer colleague uh who was really invested in, in Oregon State success and they lost the game and he's just despondent. And 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 but meanwhile, I'd been kind of trained by some of these Gazette Times guys and very, very early on had the no cheering in the press box rule kind of pounded into my head. That's right. And 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 that's what you learn, you know, and, and whether you're a political reporter or or a sports reporter or whatever, you know, you're not there to 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 be a fan or to cheer someone on or to glorify someone. You're there to report what happens, you know, and and and, and maybe later in your career, if you're writing stories with a point of view, that then that's fine too. But but it's all based on solid objective reporting. And and I learned that I actually, luckily for me, I feel like I learned that really early on. I've seen some college journalists who have not learned it. I've seen some journalists at small papers who still haven't learned it. And, and it's hard when you're at some of these small papers and you're covering the local high school team or whatever. And, and the person you interview every week is the high school football coach or volleyball coach or whatever. They become, it becomes almost like a friendly relationship. And you have to, if you can feel that starting to happen, you have to kind of, Put the brakes on that and, and realize that you're, you're you're there to do a job. Yeah. And there's always the challenge as well of because you're there to do a job, there might be stories that you need to report that are not going to make those folks happy. Right. 
And that's hard. And and the first time you do one of those, it, it, it'll it'll start to get a little bit easier the next time you have to do it. And and all I can say about that is because the, I I still don't like you know nobody really likes doing those stories. Nobody likes having hard conversations with employees who aren't performing. I mean the you know we we don't necessarily seek out and like that kind of conflict. But you're right; those stories have to be written sometimes. And the best thing you can do is be fair and transparent about it. And so don't, you know, at the beginning of my career, I would do stories and 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 you almost feel like like you're kind of sneaking around gathering information. But the best way to do that story is go out and do the reporting. But then I might have to come back and say, Stephen, listen, I'm writing a story in, in the paper next week, but here's what it's going to, going to say. I'd like I give you a chance to respond to that. And you have to do that. You know, you, you've, you've got to let let people have their say. Uh, now, you know, it doesn't mean that you're giving things equal weight exactly. You're, we're not completely, totally, uh, uh, we're just like, okay, he said, then she said, then he said, then she said. Uh, you, you get to weigh and, and measure and, and, and decide what's important and what's relevant and what's truthful. But you have to at least let that person talk. You have to let them know. They should not be surprised by a story that they see in the paper about them the next day, in other words. Do you feel like journalists could do a better job of analyzing and weighing that as opposed to presenting both sides as if they have equal weight? I think we've seen that in the last few years. I think uh, I think some national organizations like the New York Times and the Washington Post uh, and others have started to have started to write that way. I mean, back when I was in school there, it really was kind of a gather everything. There are two equal sides to every story uh, kind of kind of attitude. And I think now people are more willing to say, well, you know, if, if you've lied about something or if, you're, if this isn't truthful, I don't have to report that. I don't have to say this is Stephen's response to this story if it's just complete BS. You know, um, I could paraphrase you maybe and say that, that you claimed this. And, and if I can prove it's like it's, it's an outright lie. And, and, and honestly, and I don't I don't want to get a whole lot into you know, political stuff here, probably. But 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 a lot of this started during the the Trump presidency, where I think national press, national media got tired of trying to report this as if this was an equal thing. Like, here's one thing. And Trump says this. And here's another thing. And Trump says that. And then you go, well, yeah, but that's that's a lie. So why do we have to report that? Um, so I think national organizations, and I think everybody takes a takes a look at a look at that the way they report things. You know, at the Seattle Times, we just try to be really, really transparent about the way we do things. We try to have a staff that represents our our city and our our region. Uh, you know, in, in terms of diversity, both with uh, our staff uh, and the the stories we cover, you know, and and, and so I, I I think that's a big difference actually in journalism now compared to when I first got into it. Um, the internet, of course, has changed everything, and um, it's it probably sounds weird to some people to even hear. Wow, you were before the internet, and, and <laughs> I, I was, I was, and. And it's just it's 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 different now, and and it makes us report in a different way, I think. 
Well, let's talk about the difference in the journalism industry uh, because uh, you broke into the journalism industry after your time at the Barometer, the Barometer and the Gazette Times, mm-hmm. and like you said, it's a very different world for new younger journalists coming out into the field. So what have been some of the major differences that you've seen in recent years uh, for journalists who are trying to get into the field? Yeah, I well, back when I did it, there was a different kind of uh, model and that amounted to go out, get a job at a small paper, work really hard, learn everything you can, get better, go get a job at a slightly bigger paper and kind of keep working your way up up uh, the ladder that way. Um, and, and, and for me, that was to get a job at the Yuma Daily Sun in Arizona. And then I, I kind of kept progressing. Eventually I was at the News Tribune in Tacoma, which is a very good paper, was a very good paper then. And then I went to the Seattle Times. Um, and so that was kind of the logical order. And you were also taught in school to learn as much as you can, have as many uh, tools as you can, be, be good at everything. Uh, what I've seen in the last few years, and, and I would also encourage people to talk to people younger than me who have recently come out and have had to do this for themselves. But what I've seen is that I, I would have never considered or I would have never thought coming out of school that the Seattle Times would have hired me and, and they wouldn't have then. Um, but now the Seattle Times hires younger people and people right out of college, people who have come here for internships and like, wow, that person's really. So if if we see people who are young but we think talented and have a chance to grow, there are jobs. The, the world will always need journalists, we hope. Um, you know, the, we've all seen the stories about all, all the jobs lost, but there are still jobs out there for, for people. But I think the big difference is now you can start at bigger papers. You won't start at a lot of money. And so you've got to decide, do I really love journalism? And do I want to commit to this? Um, but but those jobs are there. We, we hire a lot of because the online version of our paper exists, we hire a lot of news producers, and those are typically younger, younger uh, journalists who can work their way up. There, there are pathways at the Times and other papers to to continue on and, and, and move into different jobs. What skills should young journalists be learning or practicing now to make themselves good candidates for when they're applying for these jobs? Yeah. I, I think whatever the job is, you have to be a good reporter, and you you can't you can't write a good story without reporting it well. But I would say also that as some of our photographers are some of the best reporters at the Seattle Times because they find things that the reporter didn't necessarily think of or see. Um, some of our desk editors who, who who edit copy were good reporters, and 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 if you're a good uh, desk editor you'll read a story with a really critical eye and you'll say, well, that doesn't make sense. And you'll, you know, you won't just, you know, go through the story and just looking for out of place commas. You, you really look at the content. And, and so the, the best, the best of all of those, of designers, of editors, of photographers are, are good reporters who question things, who, who see a story and, and, and want to know more about it, uh, who see something, you know, when you when you read or write a story, you should go through it, and if it raises any other questions, you should you know you need to do a little more work and answer those. And so, I think reporting is the absolute top skill. Uh, on top of that, you know there there are some skills that aren't aren't necessarily taught in in the classes that you have to. And there's some of the things we talked about earlier about 
bravery and perseverance and and just talking yourself into you know i can do this and i want to do this and and i'm going to work hard at it um so i, I it's a lot of things that you've you've got to learn. And one thing that Oregon State is great at right now, it seems like, is that there are a lot of opportunities for practical experience. And there's just there's no substitute for that. I I, I mean, as great as my teachers were at Oregon State, and back then there, there was a I, I got a technical journalism degree uh, with a a minor in business administration. Uh, they made me take eight four-hour classes of business administration that were totally useless that I couldn't remember one thing from them because all I want to do is take journalism classes. <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 the education was, was fine, but I, but I learned, I feel like I learned a lot more working at the barometer, working at the Gazette Times, getting out there, making mistakes, finding my way. Uh, that practical experience is really important. And it's led you now to Pacific Northwest Magazine, where you are the editor. So much to talk about there. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more with Bill Reeder about Pacific Northwest Magazine. We'll be right back. And we're back. We're talking with Bill Reeder, editor of Pacific Northwest Magazine. Bill, tell me a little bit about the magazine, which is uh, based out of the Seattle Times. Uh, what sort of uh, topics do you cover there? Yeah, we cover uh, a lot of things having to do with Northwest. We we've found that people like to know about the history of the Northwest. Uh, you know, we, we have standing features that we do each week, uh, a now and then feature that will uh, show a, a photo of something that might have been from a hundred years ago, and then what that looks like now. I think people like kind of comparing and seeing that contrast. Uh, we do a a taste story about food. We do a uh, uh, it's called Grow, about gardening. Uh, we do uh, Cheers, about drinking. We do Gather, about people getting together and, and meeting to find things to do. Uh, so, so those are the standing stories that we do that we think are just kind of the day-to-day -day parts of people's lives here that they might want to know a little more about. But the thing that we get really excited about are, are the cover stories we do each week. And, and, and each week, we try to find something. We, we have a, we have uh, two full-time writers on the on the magazine, and then some freelancers. We'll occasionally use book excerpts, um, you know. But but we'll do uh, we'll do stories that we want it to be a story that wouldn't work. Like you couldn't do this story if you worked in Dallas or Cleveland or L.A. You know, it, it's a Seattle Northwesty kind of story. So it's about the Northwest. It it, it is written with a little bit of a you know, point of view. It doesn't have to be an opinion, but it has to be a point of view. Uh, you, you know, we, we've had some some great stories lately. We, we talk a lot about the uh, finding the smaller story, you know, find that small story that, that kind of tells a larger truth. And uh, uh, that, that can be a challenge. We, we Sometimes you'll, you'll get criticism like, why, why that small story? Why did you tell that story about that person in that community? There's a thousand other stories like that. Well, there are, there are, you know, but but that's the one we knew about. That's the one we thought was a good way to explain this this larger piece, this larger story about our community. Uh, we, we did a story. Well, actually, we have a story coming up next week uh, by Brendan Kiley, one of our writers, and it's about it's a way of talking about public art. But what he did was we we have a lot of light rail stations that have opened in in recent years. 
and you kind of take for granted unless you stand there and and take the time to look at look at it but there's a lot of interesting art at some of these light rail stations and so the question is how did that get there who made it who's in charge of designing who gets to make that and just how does that process work and of course it's a every story we do has to be really visual right? every cover story uh there have to be great photos or, or illustrations available with it and and so we we took uh, a lot of photos of of some of these art in art that has been installed and so it's a way of talking about public art that you kind of take for granted uh talking about the idea that a lot of public art isn't that great, but some of it can be if you're if you're thoughtful about it and, and how you do that. Uh, so so stories like that. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did a cover story on Octavia Butler. Uh, Octavia Butler, who I didn't know much about, is a science fiction writer. She was probably the first black woman uh, to really be a, a popular science fiction author. Uh, in the 80s, 90s, uh, into the 2000s, she she lived here like the last 10 years of her life in Seattle, which is what kind of made it a local story. And we had, we got such a good story by a writer named Jonathan Zwickel that it ended up taking up the whole, we devoted a, a whole issue to it. And so we'll do that once in a while. And the reason she was worth writing about is that there are a whole bunch of, there's kind of a renaissance now. She died eight or nine years ago, but there's a renaissance now of, of new movies and TV shows and things coming out about you know based on the books that she wrote so yeah we're, we're just looking for things that people are interested in that we'll talk about uh sandy down another one of our writers is writing about a, a a community center that that you know 10 20 years ago maybe the seattle times wouldn't have cared too much about that but there's a a community center uh el centro uh, on in the beacon hill area of seattle that is uh is really a rich uh and tradition filled space for for that community and it's been there for 50 years now and so we're able to tell that story both past and present again great photos really rich uh, visuals uh, from that so those are the kind of stories we try to tell what makes something a magazine story versus a newspaper story in your opinion yeah uh, the visuals are a big part of it. A, a lot of stories are good stories, but like there's really there's only only like one or two photos with this. I mean, there's there's what more can you say visually after you've photographed maybe a main person or a main or, or maybe it's the kind of story that's hard to hard to illustrate at all. So if we find things that we think have a lot of great art, uh, that it, it's got to have that for starters. And then you just you don't want it to be. Uh, uh, you know, it, it can't be too big of a story uh, where, where you're writing like a Wikipedia version of, of something. You know, you, you want to find that slice of it that really makes it. And, and it's got to be a well-written, well-told story with, with a narrative arcs and conflict in the story. So it's more than just the the reporting of an event or something. I, you know, an example that I, I can think of, and I uh, just because I I, I, I wrote this, um, a couple of years ago, we were on an anniversary, I think, of uh, the, uh, what was this, it been three, it might have been three years ago, the Seattle Pilots were a, a baseball team that played one year in Seattle. Uh, so it's kind of this weird, quirky thing. They left after one year, broke, uh, became the Milwaukee Brewers. 
And so, I, you know, I've been asked, you know, hey, maybe that's a good story, Seattle Pilots. I said, okay, well, yeah, that, that sounds great. But you can't then decide, you know, a newspaper story might have been to retell what happened right at the end and how they lost their money and why they had to become, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, you know, but 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 I wanted to find a smaller piece of that story. I also didn't want to go real big and tell you everything about the Seattle Pilots from 1969. And so as I looked into the Pilots, I found that one of their players, uh, a guy named Ray Euler, was not a good player, but he was a really popular player for some reason. People, fans liked him. And, and I knew that he had stuck around here um, after his playing career. And I knew that he died like at the age of 42 here after, and this was back when players didn't make enough money to be retired forever. You know, he quit playing and then he got a job at Boeing and uh, and he lived here and played softball and, and uh, you know, and then died at the age of 42. So, well, there might be something there. There might be a story about, about Ray Euler, this weak hitting shortstop that for some reason people loved. Well, as I got into it more and more, I said, that, well, I'm gonna, now I'm gonna try to call uh, his daughter. And that's the thing about magazine stories. A newspaper story you can do today by making five phone calls or going and visiting people, get a bunch of quotes, talk to people. A magazine story, especially if you're writing a profile on somebody, I always tell reporters and, and photographers who go do this, you are going to be their best friend for the next three weeks or whatever. You just, you find out what they go do on Tuesday nights for fun, where they where they hang out and, and you you get in their space and with them and you observe them and you just, you, you really, Get the, that that's a difference too with, with magazine stories. You, it's just a much deeper dive. But as I looked at this Ray Euler story, and I found his daughter, uh, who lived in Southern California, who my first contacts I just I never heard back from her for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I, I finally did. And then she talked 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 to me a little bit. And then she talked more. And as she kept talking to me, like wow, this is a great story. And it became a it, it became what started as a Seattle pilot story still was, but it became really a story about a father and a daughter because you had like an, an eight-year-old daughter when dad was playing major league baseball. And then you had a 20-year-old daughter who tried to save her dad's life, literally, you know, giving him CPR and he died, you know, with her thinking that it was her fault that she let him die. And so it became this amazing, deep, rich story about a father and a daughter and you don't get that unless you just kind of keep pushing and going down a rabbit hole and keep looking and looking and looking and you don't give up on, on, on the daughter, you, you, you eventually find her. And then by the end, and this is another thing about, about interviews and making them conversations. You know, at first I didn't get that much out of her and then I'd get a little more and I get a little more. And, and, and by the end, she's calling me to say, Hey, did I tell you about the time my dad did this? Yeah. So that that's and that's the the advantage we have at the magazine, too. We have this story. You know, I, I was working on this a couple of months ahead of time, just starting to gather string on this. And so so you've got the time to do that. Some stories you don't and they're different. But with magazine stories, you have time to do that. And so you want to just keep pushing and find uh, find those stories, have those conversations rather than asking a list of questions. And you just get this really rich information. And then. Uh, it was also, you know, Seattle Pilots, it, it was very easy to uh, to uh, to get art. You know, there were plenty of photos of them playing. You know, we, we shot little baseball cards of the Seattle Pilots. Uh, I went down to where they used to play at a place called Six Stadium. And I went down to, that's now a, a Lowe's home improvement. 
but there's a little a little uh, silhouette of a batter, a little kind of a statue right where home plate used to be. So we photographed that and, and, and I wrote about that. And so, you know, that's a difference too with magazine stories. You just keep finding every angle of it. And I always talk to reporters too. You, re you report enough where you could basically write a book about this, but now your job as a writer is to really synthesize this down, find the best stuff, just be brutal in the uh, editing process of this and write a really good 2000 word story that, that has a trajectory and a focus line all the way through. That's where that's where writers, especially young writers, get tangled up too. It you you, you learn how to be a reporter. You go out and get all this information, and then you just have too much stuff. Uh, yeah. So that that's a trick. Yeah. Yeah, and that can be so hard because as a, a writer, you want to keep everything in there, right? You you've done all the work, and you think, oh, everything in here is so important, and and to be able to exercise that muscle of narrowing things down and boiling it down to the most right. important readable parts can be really tough. Um, but it, like you said, it absolutely. results in some really good stories. Yeah, absolutely. And I can tell you right now that everyone who works at the uh, in in student uh, journalism uses too many quotes. I, I did. <laughs> everybody does. Uh, don't quote people so much. Paraphrase people. Um, you, because that that you're you're exactly right. That's a problem. People go out and they they get all this reporting done, and then they just kind of want to empty their notebook into a story. Like, no, no, no. Uh, I, I always actually start my stories, and I don't write that often anymore, but when I write stories, I started with the idea that I'm not going to use any quotes, that I'm going to, I'm just going to know this so well that I just tell the story. And you just sit down and you write it like you're telling you're telling a story. And then, of course, some quotes will find their way into the story. But if you have that attitude, it really makes those quotes earn their way into the story. And you don't feel like, God, the worst, I mean, the worst stories in the world are paragraph, long quote, transition, quote, transition, quote, and people just dumping in everything that the person said. You know, you can almost like 99% of the time you can paraphrase or just describe what happened or what was said. Use the quotes that are really good. Right. Use the quotes to really emphasize something and really kind of hit that that emotional beat or or that really important beat as opposed to because uh, I see a lot of quotes too, where it will just be the source describing something or the source giving facts, which could just be paraphrased. A absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Don't use a quote that says, uh, you know, the Mariners have won 94 games this year, said manager Scott Service. Well, you can just say they've won 94 games or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. So don't, don't overquote. And, and often too many quotes follow, there'll be a paragraph kind of explaining something. And then you'll see a quote from somebody saying that exact same thing. It's like, well, no, you don't. You, you right, just stepping on the quote at that point. Vote. Right, right. I also wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the changes that have happened, especially over the last couple of years. Okay. What sort of impact has COVID-19 had on your work over the last couple of years? Yeah, the, the most obvious is just that we're working from home now. Uh, most of us at the Seattle Times. It's great to work in the office if you can. It, especially for young journalists, I think it, it's great to be there and to be able to have conversations and and to get in that routine of, of being in an office with, with colleagues. Um, but the fact is, with the magazine, it's a small staff. We have become efficient at getting the magazine out. Uh, we each live quite a distance and, in fact, on opposite sides of Seattle. So it just, you know, rather than rather than commuting a couple hours a day and spending that time, we just spend it 
at home working and we can still be efficient and, and get things done that way. So that's that's the biggest difference, I think, is just that we're working from home. Um, it, it's been a challenge for reporters and photographers, especially the beginning of this. I, I talked to Danny Westneat a couple of nights ago. He's a he's our local columnist at the Seattle Times, a, a great writer. And he talked about how hard it was at the beginning of this because people weren't out and you couldn't you couldn't go see and watch and interview people. And it was hard to find stories. And and especially as you, if you're trying to find those small stories, people are wanting the big stories. And I think at first people just wanted information and data and tell me what's going on and, and, and help me out with this. Uh, Danny's great at finding the smaller story and letting that tell the truth. And, and, and he, he's back to a point now where that's those are available. He can find people to do, you know, uh, city council meetings and things are being done live and in, in person now. And and so he can he can he can get back out there and interview people. But that was hard for a while, just just finding people. We we had we took several photos from outside. You know, we had photographers who couldn't and reporters who couldn't go cover things they wanted to cover because it just wasn't going to work out. The the person would couldn't or wouldn't be available, uh, or our our reporter photographer didn't want to put themselves in, in that position. So so just just from from that it became difficult. And and talking to Danny the other day. Um, you know, he made the point that it's it, the 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 sad thing is it's not coming back probably either, because so many people and I know what it's like at the Seattle Times. I imagine it's like this at, at other media outlets. We've figured out that we can put a paper out without being in the office and without having to uh, to spend this commuting time. And maybe Seattle is different than, than some areas there, but but for me, uh, we get the the magazine done. And I don't have to spend a couple hours a day commuting, and it just it saves that time. I could be more efficient here. Now, if I were a young reporter, I'd want to be in the office because I'd want to be talking to my editor in person. I'd want to talk to other reporters, photographers, other people around just to gather information from them. Well, Bill, we've covered a lot of ground today, uh, both uh, your time at the Seattle Times and going back to your time at the Daily Barometer at Oregon State. I wanted to wrap this up with, what do you wish that you had done during your time at Oregon State? Yeah, thanks. I, I you know, I regret not making more of the opportunities I had at Oregon State. I, you know, I have told two nieces and my own daughter about what they should do when they go to college. Unfortunately, I, you know, I, I, I'm much better with the wisdom of an older person now being able to tell them what I think they could and should do than I was at doing it myself when I was at Oregon State. There are so many, there's so many opportunities to, to meet people, to, to join clubs, to, to, it's a whole different world. And again, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I show up there, I'm a 17 year old kid from Monroe. I don't know anything about anything. And so, it was an amazing opportunity and just a much bigger world. And, and when we talk about journalism, about sure, uh, be a great reporter, learn how to write, learn the, the, the details and the skills of how to write. But there's also all these kind of intangible things about, about bravery and about, about persistence and, and hard work. And, you know, if, if you're the kind of person who can just walk up at your, your dorm uh, dining hall and just go sit down next to a person you've never met before and introduce yourself and talk to them. Uh, first of all, you're, you're going to learn something probably. And also, if you can do that, 
then you can go interview somebody. I mean, this is where you can kind of develop some of those skills and, and you'll learn, you'll try to just have conversations and try to make interviews conversations. So so be brave, be bold, go, go learn something new. I mean, every single person at Oregon State when I was there knew more about something than I did. You know, I mean, every every person you, you meet is an expert on something, knows, knows something that, that you don't know. So find out that what that is and, and really, really try to uh, to, to take advantage of that. The, the other thing I wish I had done would have been to, and again, I was lucky that I had mentors at the Gazette Times, uh, some people on campus at Oregon State. But I think I've tried even harder to, to get better by not just trusting myself to do it, but by seeking out people who maybe were in positions that I wanted to get to or who had a skill that I wanted to acquire. There might be a colleague who works with you, but you notice they're a really good writer or they're a really good interviewer or they're really good at something, you know? Talk to them, how do they do that? Just just go, just go seek out and find this information. Absolutely. Well, Bill, I think that's great advice for all of our students here. And I'm so grateful that we had time to catch up with you today on this podcast. This was awesome. Uh, let's have you on again sometime. Yeah, I'd be happy to do it. I, I love uh, I love talking to Oregon State students. I, I wish I could come down and do it in person again sometime soon. Uh, I, you know, I remember being down there a few years ago and, and just really enjoyed uh, the enthusiasm and the energy that that uh, the students bring to this so I'm, I'm happy to do this anytime thanks steve thank you and thank you for listening to the omn alumni podcast i am steven sandberg we will see you next time